Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. National Football League after two weeks with that sort of weird twin bill on Monday night. Uh, And I'll tell you one thing about that as we get into our discussion of the week. That is the reason, one of the big reasons that no one's really talking about why ESPN and ABC did really want the twin bill, as did the NFL. But we'll get into that. We're going to be joined later in the podcast by Sean Payton, the uh, Fox NFL analyst, which seems very weird to say after 16 years uh, in prowling the sidelines uh, for the uh, New Orleans Saints. And so we'll get into uh, a lot of stuff this week uh, with Miles Simmons. We're going to talk about In this first segment, we're going to talk about whether anybody can touch the Buffalo Bills right now. They're a very, very strong 2-0. We're going to get into the Giants and whether they're a legit team after starting 2-0. We're going to talk about being worried about the Bengals and about the Titans after two weeks. And I think we're both going to shed a tear for Trey Lance. This poor friggin' guy. I mean, really, it's unbelievable. Uh, We're going to talk about the Chiefs taking control of the AFC West uh, without Tyreek Hill. Uh, We're going to talk about Miami with Tyreek Hill being absolutely dominant on Sunday on offense. And, uh, you know, a couple of other things might come up. Who knows? Miles, good morning. How are you as as we record this on Tuesday morning? I'm great, Peter, and I am looking forward to the explanation of ESPN and the NFL and why they wanted to do the twin bill like they did the twin bill on Monday night, because I put out there on Twitter last night that I didn't really love choosing between my NFL games, and I got called a boomer because I don't have two televisions in my living room (laughs) to set up. I, I don't know, Peter. I mean, I didn't think most people just had two TVs. But apparently everybody does. And I mean, yes, I have a second screen that I use to watch games on Sundays on my iPad. But my gosh, like, I'm sorry. I'm used to watching NFL on Monday nights just one at a time. So if that makes me a boomer, I guess I am one. (laughs) Yeah, well, let's let's just I'll give you my quick little education in this because I wondered the same thing. And in the offseason, Uh, somebody from the NFL, I went over a bunch of reasons why 
they might be doing this. And one of the reasons actually came into play on Monday night this week. And that reason that nobody really talked about is that if the first game's a blowout, you can just turn off the first game and go to the second game and devote your full attention to that game. And that's, in essence, what happened pretty early, I would say, uh, at least pretty early in the second half, you know, of Tennessee-Buffalo. Tennessee was never in this game after, say, about the first 12 13 minutes of it because they just simply could not stop Josh Allen. I don't know who's going to be able to stop Josh Allen. He'll have a test uh, on Sunday in Miami, but uh, you know, right now the bills are really a dangerous team, but there is that part of it. The fact that if one game turns into a blowout, you can put on the other game. Now, it turns out that neither game was competitive last night, uh, <laughs> you know, Monday night. Right. But, you know, Miles, there's, a, there's another reason. That, to me, is the hidden reason that nobody really was talking about. But I think right. the more obvious reason is that I don't know what the ratings are going to say, but I feel pretty good in saying that in the cable TV universe, ESPN will have won Monday night, just like they always win Monday night with a Monday night game, okay? But also, ABC will have won in the battle of, you know, the Nielsen ratings for for non-cable. ABC will demolish the competition. And so what happened on Monday night is that Disney, instead of having three hours and 15 minutes where they got the biggest show on TV. They had about four hours and a half of having the two biggest shows on TV. So on Monday night ratings, Disney owned the show. They owned it with the over the air portion of it on ABC and they owned it on cable TV, even if, uh, and, and I'm sure they owned it on whatever streaming and, and, you know, in Hulu, they owned it everywhere. And so, and the NFL owned it because instead of being a dominant broadcast for three hours and 10, three hours and 15 minutes, they get four and a half hours of dominance. So right. that's really why the NFL did it. So in other words, I better just get used to it and I need to get a second television for my living room because this is the future. <laughs> Well, either that or uh, be comfortable with pressing last uh, or yeah. whatever you have on your on your remote, you know, where you get to the last channel. The, yeah. uh, but I, I, I would say this, Miles, that the NFL will have three of these in 2023. They'll mm-hmm. have three Monday nights where ESPN and ABC share uh, the, the Monday night window. So I think it's going to be something everybody's going to have to get used to. And look, I think it's basically what happens in, say, the late window of Sunday afternoon where there might be two games that are really interesting. Um, And so, and one of them's on Fox, one of them's on CBS. And so unless you're watching Red Zone, which I spend much of Sundays doing when I am home, unless you're watching Red Zone, it becomes pretty easy 
to just go back and forth between two games if in your local market you've got two games on in that window. So anyway, we'll see how people get used to it. Um, I want to, we touched a little bit on the Bills, but before we get to Sean Payton, I just want to say, I want to just go back in time to about three weeks ago when I was sitting down trying to figure out what I was going to, who I was going to pick in my preseason predictions to win the divisions, win the, uh, win conferences and win the Super Bowl. And I just thought to myself, I don't remember a year where it seemed so obvious on Labor Day weekend who I thought the best team was. Now, it doesn't mean they are the best team. It doesn't mean they will be the best team on January 1st. But as of today, I think the gulf between Buffalo and the rest of the league, I'm not saying it's huge, but it's there. And even the teams that have played really well the first two weeks and are 2-0 and after two weeks, like, for instance, Kansas City, mm -hmm. I just look at the Bills right now and I say, this is the premier team in football. How do you see it? Yeah, no, I, I see it the same way, Peter. The Bills look like a juggernaut. And at times last year, they did too. But I think the biggest difference right now is that they can really rush really, really well with four guys. And I think Von Miller and adding him to that defensive line is one of those things that has really made them dominant. I, I mean, you look at what he's been able to do, not just against the pass, but also against the run. And it just makes them super dynamic. I mean, watching them here at SoFi Stadium in LA, you know, a couple weeks ago when they took on the Rams, it was just one of those things where you can tell that defensive line is going to be one of the things that can really power them through. And if you can rush with four, that makes your defense elite a lot of times because it means you can do anything you want with coverages on the back end and you don't have to send blitzers. So, yeah, I mean, from an offensive standpoint, like we knew Josh Allen was going to keep getting better. Right? We knew that Stephon Diggs is still going to look like one of the best receivers in the league. McKenzie's been great for them. You know, Gabe Davis didn't play on Monday night, but I'm assuming that he's still going to be one of those great players that they have whenever he's able to come back. And I think it says a lot about their offense that they were able to still go out there and put up 40 plus, you know, even though they didn't have Davis out there. So yeah, the, the bills look like a juggernaut, man. They really, really do. So two things about what you just said, I think are really, really important in the grand scheme of things. I had an item in my column this week in Football Morning in America about Patrick Mahomes and how, in my opinion, how amazing he's been in the first two weeks of the season without Tyreek Hill. Yeah. And here's one of the things from Next Gen Stats that I find amazing, okay? In his career now, Patrick Mahomes has thrown 36 interceptions, okay? Of those 36 interceptions... Three, exactly three, have come against a blitz. Okay, mm. so sending more than four rushers. 33 have come when the team, when the opposition rushes four or fewer players. Okay, and you mentioned this about the Bills and their ability to get pressure with four. That also means... They have the ability to cover better with seven on the back end. 
And mm-hmm. if you look at how the Bills have played early on on defense, here's what you see. Yeah, they've had nine sacks, which is good. It's not extraterrestrial, but it's 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 good. But the other part that's interesting is that they're only allowing a 63% completion rate, which in the NFL today is very good. Yep. And, you know, basically, you know, at this point, they've given up one touchdown pass in two weeks. And so all of those things, and, and, and I look at the other things that people questioned coming into this year about the Buffalo Bills. The run game, let's say. Worried a little bit about both the depth and the explosion of the run game. They're averaging 4.5 a carry through the first two weeks of the year. Now, it's only 111 yards per game, rushing yards per game. But still, when they run, when they try to run, they're very effective. The two other points about this team that I think are really significant right now is that they're a very good run defense team through two weeks. They bottled up Derrick Henry on Monday night, even though they weren't going to be giving it to Henry 35 times because they got behind by so much early. But when he did try to run early, they played it very, very well. They were only allowing 2.9 yards per carry. And I think the one other thing that, that interests me about this team is that you mentioned it. Last night, they're missing Gabe Davis, who had a sprained ankle, a result of a practice uh, injury suffered on Saturday, their last full day of practice for the week. That obviously is really unfortunate and we'll see how much time he misses. Obviously, uh, they got a game in Miami on Sunday, and they could really use Gabe Davis. But without him, you see what, uh, what this offense can do. You know, Stephon Diggs, you know, is totally ridiculous. His average through the first two weeks is 10 catches a week, 135 yards per week, and two touchdowns per week. He keeps that up. And rumor, uh, rumor has it that if he does keep that up, he might have a pretty good year, <laughs> you know. But, <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I just and I think pulling out Isaiah McKenzie and Dawson Knox, you know, and going through the depth. You look at Jake Kumaro on Monday night making a big play. So to me, I think all woes can be healed because Josh Allen is very comfortable spreading that ball around. Yeah, he really is. And it's just one of those things where you've looked at the way he's progressed right, over the last few years, especially. It's, it's really kind of remarkable because he didn't look like he was going to be able to turn into this when we first saw him. He was not as accurate. He would make some wild decisions And you don't see that as much anymore. I mean, there was that fourth down play on Monday night where he was trying to do something and then he let it go. And I'm like, my gosh, that looks like, you know, 2018 Josh Allen, but we don't really see that anymore from him. And because of how good that defense is and because of how good the rest of the offense is, you just don't really necessarily care about those kinds of things anymore because again, he just doesn't really do it. And I don't remember the last time like a guy came into a new team like Stefan Diggs did and like had this kind of immediate success with Josh Allen with a quarterback. You know what I mean? It's just like, 
it's like they they were cut from the same cloth and i just i love watching those two play together because their chemistry is unbelievable and you know like you said if he he keeps up the numbers he's got right now man he's gonna have a pretty darn good year i think (laughs) yeah i mean how ridiculous is this the guy's on pace to catch 170 balls with 34 touchdowns <laughs> I, mean, you know, I love early season few, numbers because of stuff like that that's so great <laughs> yeah we we could we could do a few weird things and we will after the break after the conversation with sean payton we're going to bring back some scarier numbers for two teams that are in trouble in a big way after two weeks so let's listen to sean payton first and then we're going to scare the denizens of Southwest Ohio and Central Tennessee. But first, here's my conversation with Sean Payton. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Happy to be joined by Sean Payton now. He's in Idaho. I'm in Florham Park, New Jersey, uh, recording this uh, out on the road doing some stuff today. So, Sean Payton, wow, you're a TV guy now. How does that feel? Well, uh, like anything else, it's it's something new. You know, every once in a while, I think it's pretty – look, we get into routines. We're all creatures of habit. and. I remember going to the Super Bowl, interviewing with Fox and then Amazon and putting a suit on and getting in an Uber and driving up to the studio and getting out and thinking, man, I'm uncomfortable. This is this is something, you know, first all I've been doing is coaching and you get in a routine and. But it's kind of like uh, it's, it's something new and different. And so I like that. And. There are certain things that you, you know, we all have that kick in. We want to do well. We want to please. We want to be really good. And so those things still apply. It's just in a different, in a different form. So, you know what? I, I find myself wondering this sometimes about people who've done one thing for a very long time and who are very good at it. What I wonder about with you is, you know, you had such a great time and so much fun 
putting together a game plan and meeting with your quarterback on Saturday night and deciding, and I saw it one time, you do your dot plays, you figure out your favorite plays. And I remember you had 42 dot plays going into a game once in 2018. And I said, how many of those do you think you'll get to? And you said, I hope all of them. Drew <laughs> loves them. I love them. I want to call them all. So there can't be a similar exact thing now in television, I wouldn't think. So when you watch football now on Sunday, instead of coaching it, what is it that you really miss? Well, I, you just hit on something that certainly you really miss. Um, I would say the camaraderie of that staff and locker room you get to feel a little bit with your group in the studio. Like you're going somewhere to work with people you like working with. Cause look, if I was a dog, I, I would be a retriever. I wouldn't be the dog. <laughs> that, like I don't do well hanging out by myself. You with me? I, I need company. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine by myself for a period of time. But aren't all dogs, don't all dogs like company? I mean, why a retriever? Do you like fetching the ball? <laughs> no, but yeah, but there's, when you go online and you're going to buy a dog, and if you're, let's say, single, living in an apartment, it'll give you four or five breeds that are very comfortable if they don't ever see a human being. All right. Then if, if you're in a family of five and you're going to buy a dog, it, it, so there, but I would definitely be, um, you know, someone that wants to be around and interact with people. And I think you get that. But yesterday, two days ago, Sunday, New Orleans hosts Tampa Bay in a good hard fought game. And it's, it's been kind of, a, you know, I don't know if it's a rivalry game, but you know, I said this on air in, in 14 divisions where there's only four teams and you get hired as a new coach. And that happened to me in 06. You have about three to four years to knock off the division leader. You, you, you got three and, and the race begins immediately. And when we got there in 06, Tampa was that team. It was Gruden. It was, you know, that it was really the makeup of that Super Bowl Buccaneer team back in the early 2000s. And so then eventually we became that team in 17 and 18, 19, 20, you know, all those divisions, the titles in a row. And Tampa, the other way around was, was that team and Brady came in. And so the other day, when that game was being played was one of the first times that I've missed, you know, I've really, I missed being a part of the draft that, you know, I always enjoyed that process, but the other afternoon watching and, and, and just seeing the type of game that was unfolding, you know, it, it, that's one of those moments. And so, yeah, I, I think um, your point about, watching film late there there's nothing better than being a part of the success with your players and fellow coaches it just it's hard to replace that and people try all sorts of ways to do it but when you when you look at something two years back and see an idea and then it, it comes to fruition in the third quarter 
on third down for a touchdown. I mean, are you kidding me? You also said something that was really interesting about your life uh, when you took this job that you were tired at least now of drinking Coke at two o'clock in the morning and forcing yourself to stay awake. And I think it's an, you know, for head coaches in the NFL, you're almost chasing your tail to some degree, speaking of being a dog, but you're almost chasing your tail because you are always concerned if you're not there, if you're not working, you would be wondering, hey, what's Todd Bowles doing right now? What's Matt Rule doing right now? You know, what's Arthur Smith doing right now? Are they getting ahead of me? And it does seem kind of nuts, but that does become part of your ethos, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's part of what the competition is doing. That takes place a lot in the offseason. You know, when, when all the teams are improving and drafting and free agency and putting their 90-man rosters together and, and then you begin to practice in training camp, you know, there's this race going on but you have blinders on and you have no idea about the other 31 participants in this race. And your first glimpse of it is the preseason. But, you know, two weeks ago when the regular season started, blinders came off. Yeah. And we can look across the board. But I, I would say this, Peter, I think in season – when you're preparing each week, and, and I know I hear people say there's more efficient ways to do this and that. I, I get it, and there probably are, but for me, this is what works. It's when late in the week you make an adjustment because you see something on film, and this came up. We were playing the Colts uh, six years ago, seven years ago, and we had a fake field goal in, and I didn't really like how it looked in practice, and I didn't like how we were blocking it particularly and I remember seeing seeing something on film Friday night before I went home that I followed up on Saturday morning and then we we changed how we were going to execute that play the day before the day we were flying to Indianapolis it was in Indy but it only had to be it had to be on the right hash mark because we wanted you know they were a field rush field goal block team so you know, they would overload wherever the field was and then come after the kicker. So it had to be on the right hash. But that could be a PAT if we needed it to be, right? But yeah. probably going to be a fake field goal. And then I remember getting in that game and it was third down. And I told Breeze, hey, just trust me with this call because I knew he would hate it. But we ran a play to get the ball on the right hash more than we did <laughs> the first down because I felt like we had a really good opportunity with the fake field goal. And sure enough, we score with the fake field goal. It's that type of thing that takes place that is probably no different than an attorney who's getting ready to go to trial and he's just wanting to make sure he's crossed all the T's and dotted the I's and I'm sure at some point, maybe he's uncovered something, you know, a day before that made the difference. That's yeah. that's the thing that drives you. Yeah. Uh, 
Have you found anything about TV that's fun enough to drive you to this point? You're very early on in your TV career. Yeah, I, you want, I mean, honestly, you want to be great at it. You know, like the, the first weekend, my suit was a tick small. I couldn't button the first button, so it stayed open. You know, um, I thought for the most part, the program went well. But then afterwards, everyone, you know, they're like, man, it was great seeing you on. You did a great job. I loved hearing you. Um, hey, by the way, button your suit when you're standing. That I heard that 45 times. It drove me nuts. <laughs> it would be like saying, hey, we watched your game the other day. Think about a little bit more play action on first down. Like it was so anyway, the suit got squared away. Uh, for week two and you, you you really want to come away flawless like you don't want you want to come away with uh, with no issues hey um I think everybody out here in the world just thinks that you're going to be coaching somewhere next year the somewhere might begin with a d but I think everybody thinks that but I remember you said this to me twice in the off season. You said, hey, you never know. And I really might like television. And it could be that I'll get used to it and like it and find a real drive to want to be great at that. So how do you feel now? Do you think it's highly likely you coach in a year or are you basically still unsure about it? Yeah. Um, fair question. I do. I think I'll coach again this upcoming season, or better, a better way maybe would be: Do I think I coach again? I I, I do think um, at some point I'll coach again. That being said, as as you chase perfection in this other um, in this other career, it, it's one of those things where if if you feel like you continue to get better and those people that are experts at it, you know, our, our, our bosses at Fox and around the, uh, around the, the industry feel like, man, this guy, then it, it's, it's kind of like if, if others feel like, Hey, he can be really, really good. That's the type thing then that, that, that pulls at you. Now, if they're like, well, don't quit your day job, then, then it's an easy decision. So I, I'm, I'm two weeks in, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think there's a chance I coach again, and I've said that, but I, it's hard to pin it on one season or maybe two years from now, um, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing a lot. I would say that, it, you know, I, I'm watching Tampa and New Orleans, but I'm watching these other teams, Buffalo. I mean, how good do they look right now? Yeah, yeah. Here's the thought I had this morning coming in. This, and this is early, it's two weeks in, but every once in a while, there's a team that can win 13, 14 games in a row. We did in 09. And, and generally speaking, you know, early in the season, about the third win of the season, you realize it, man, and it just goes fast, but, uh, you, you get challenged in maybe a couple of those games. One of them, you need a you need a break or two. We saw it with New England when they won 16 in a row or however many. Buffalo's one of those teams that can do that. Yeah, I, and they play Miami this year. And so it someday someone 
is going to have a better team than the Dolphins and coached by Don Shula. Someone's going to win more games in a row, go unbeaten, and win a Super Bowl. And two weeks into the NFL season, that, that team looks looks pretty strong to me. I, I agree totally. I wanted to ask you one other thing about this new life. I always wonder when a football coach who's coached football forever goes and does something else, what happens to your sleep? Like, do you become a lot better sleeper? And do you say sometimes at 9.15 in the evening where normally you would push yourself and push yourself, you know, to work if you're a coach? Do you sometimes say at 9.15, man, I'm tired, I'm going to bed. And I wonder, how do, how is your sleep now versus the last 16 years? It's completely different. Um, yeah, you, you you go to bed when it's time and you feel tired and then you get up. The, the neat thing about being up here in the Pacific Northwest in the summers is morning comes at five, you know, sunrise comes at 520 or 530 and, and it sets at 930 of long days. But I would say I'm typically asleep by 11 and then awake by seven or, you know, I'm getting to eight hours, eight good hours. And, and, and so you are getting refreshed and you know how close I am to Parcells, right? You know, he, we, we never looked back at it at the time, but he found a way to have a couple of these breaks periodically throughout his career more than once. Like, you know, in other words, I just went 16 years and, and to each his own, right? I got a voicemail yesterday, Sean, I just saw you on the broadcast this past week. You must be working out. You look well-rested. You don't have three chins. You look fantastic, he said. And, and I thought to myself, well, that's a good thing, you know, because. Who was the voicemailer, Parcells? Bill said, saying this to me. He said, you look oh, okay. good. You look rested. You look thin. You must be working out. And you, yeah, you're getting a chance to do more of that. Um, but I, I think there's there's nothing wrong with that idea of regroup and then get, you know, uh, and, and go back in and look, it happened to me in 12. Now, be it, it wasn't a decision I made, but it happened yeah. in 12. And I recall coming back in 13 and man, ready, ready, you know, and, and so there's there's a physical side to that. But then there's also a mental side of, you know, you hear a burnout and you don't want to start just getting angry at everything. You know, that I'm an upbeat. I would consider yeah. myself a glass half full person, not the other way around. And so um, you want to have fun doing it still. How did you overcome the bitterness, by the way, that you felt when Goodell suspended you uh, nine years ago. I mean, because at the time, obviously, you, Mickey Loomis, everybody with the Saints thought it was a major overreach. So how did you not let that become such an overriding, divisive piece in your life? Well, that's a great question. Early for the for the first couple, two or three months, um, it was that. And, and then it's like, well, this is ridiculous because now they're going to win twice. You know, in other words, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and so um, I really, I remember diving into CrossFit and fitness and working out training and then, but in a longer term, in a longer term over the years, time has done that. And, uh, you know, I just choose to be happy and choose to be positive. And, and that was creating a, a side of me that, that certainly wasn't going to contribute to anything positive going forward. And so, yeah, I, I think time and, and a little bit of wisdom too. I think the great thing about what you did is that you worried about what you could control. You know, coaches always say that to players, worry about what you can control, forget everything else. You worried about what you could control. There was yeah, nothing absolutely. you could do once the legal process had played out. You know, you were going to be gone. So let's do something good. Let's go coach my son's team. Yeah. You know, let's let's get in great physical and mental shape so that when you came back, you were like you were like the golden retriever chasing the ball. Yeah. Ready, yeah. ready. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Sean, listen, really appreciate you taking all the time. Thanks. And good luck in this second life, whether it lasts eight months, whether it lasts eight years, whatever it is. Good luck to you. Peter, thank you, as always. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Our thanks to Sean Payton for joining the pod this week. And I think we all figure, Miles, let, let, me, let me ask you this. I hadn't planned to, but I want to ask you this. Let's do it. One year from, from today, what do you think Sean Payton's going to be doing? I, I definitely think he's going to be a head coach somewhere. Uh, and where exactly that is, I don't know. But, I mean, there are going to be, as we know, what, like seven or so coach openings at least. There always are. And even though the league, you know, turned over about half, uh, excuse me, not half, a third of its coaches last year, there's still going to be turnover. There always is turnover. And Sean Payton is going to be one of the hottest names on the head coach market. But for good reason. I don't know where he's going to be, but I'm sure he'll be head coaching somewhere. I think he will too, but I'll just say this. You know, he has said to me a couple of times, 
if I love this, watch out. I mean, because hmm. Peyton has enough money. I don't know how much he earned in coaching, but probably in the range of a hundred million or so. Um, he doesn't need to coach unless he really, really wants to coach. Yeah. And I think that's going to be an interesting part of his future. You know, as we discussed a bit uh, with him, I think he's a little bit of a mystery going forward. But I would agree with you. I don't think it's a slam dunk, but I do think he's going to be coaching in 2023. So let's get to a couple of scary things here, okay, for teams. The scariest stat in the league right now, without any question is not that the Cincinnati Bengals are 0-2. An explosive team like that can come back from 0-2. The scariest number in the league right now is 111. And that is the sack pace that Joe Burrow is on right now. He's been sacked 13 times in two games. And he had the living tar beat out of him in that game against Pittsburgh in week one. Um, so... So you've got Burrow on pace for a record number of takedowns this year. Obviously, it's not going to be 111. They're going to figure out something. But, Miles, I'll tell you what worries me about the Bengals. They spent a lot of money and a lot of uh, free agency capital in this offseason. And they are no better and maybe even worse on that offensive line. Yeah, it, it's not good. And it's looked really, really, really bad through the first couple of weeks. And I was listening to Zach Taylor's Monday press conference, and he said that the vibe in the offensive line room is still really good. He knows that those guys can really turn it around and that they, he figures that they will be better. But the other thing he talked about was the sort of give and take that you get from Joe Burrow and the magic he can create when he holds onto the ball in the pocket, when he moves around and he starts to make plays. But the problem with that is that also leads to more hits that he takes. So yes. I think at this point, the Bengals really need to start speeding things up for him, speeding things up in his head. Right? You have yes. to be able to get rid of the ball sooner because that's the only way that you're not going to take so many hits. And right now he's taking far too many hits that – and he's taking so many hits that you have to say it's not just the offensive line, right? Are there problems on the offensive line? Absolutely. And I don't want to just discount that. But there's also issues where the how the protections are called, how Joe Burrow is maneuvering through the pocket and maybe holding on to the ball too long. Not all sacks are on the OL. Some are actually really on the QB. And I think anytime a quarterback takes that many sacks, you know, in two weeks, that's a problem. And it's not just like we saw that we were seeing this for the first time. This is something that goes back to last year. And he took, I think, a total of 70 sacks between the regular season and the postseason. He had 19 in the postseason, right? Like that's too many hits. And it's going to start affecting him, maybe not even just down the road. It could start affecting him in week three because he's taken so many. They've got to figure out a way to speed up that clock in his head and have him get rid of the ball faster. I think your point about getting rid of the ball faster, I think they're already starting to do that. I noticed yeah. this watching a lot of their game uh, the other day against Dallas in that 
Hayden Hurst is not just an afterthought to the big three. Mm-hmm. Hayden Hurst right now after two weeks is number two on the Bengals in targets. Joe Burrow has targeted him 15 times. He's had 10 catches. And I think you're even going to see that increase. I think Hayden Hurst thought he was really underused in Baltimore and and Atlanta as an offensive piece. And I think now you're going to see Burrow use him the way, you know, he used his tight ends a lot last year, you know, with CJ Uzama. And I think, I just think that you're right. You know, the quick drops, the quick throws, and maybe this year, instead of Jamar Chase, being that incredible deep weapon, okay? Maybe this year he's get the ball to Jamar Chase in space and let him make things happen after that. If I'm Zach Taylor and I'm making up the game plan early this week, that's really what I'm thinking about. Yeah, uh, me too. And, you know, anytime you get the ball to Jamar Chase, you know he can make things happen but it's can you get him the ball in an efficient way? And Joe Burrow is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. I think he is fully capable of doing that, you know, but at the same time, they've still got to go and execute it, and that doesn't make it easy. So you want to just see them improve in their pass protection as a whole because you don't want to see Joe Burrow get hit so many times that he gets hurt. I don't think anybody wants to see that, and I know Cincinnati doesn't want that to happen. Let's focus a little bit on the Tennessee Titans. Um, Uh I think the most worrisome thing about Tennessee is they're a little bit of a Jenga game uh, on Monday night in Buffalo. I didn't think they were going to have a great chance to win that game anyway. But when uh, when they lost their left tackle early on in that game, that really became a house of cards on the line. And the fact is that they were not able to get anything going in the running game and the protection uh, for, uh, you know, the protection for Ryan Tannehill, who's not a sure thing anyway, but the protection for Ryan Tannehill was awful. How did you see how their offense developed in that game? Well, it, it, it didn't. You know, and it's interesting because now the the funny part about it was on the other channel, you know, 45 minutes after that game started between Buffalo and Tennessee, you have the Eagles and the Vikings. And, you know, that go to guy that Jalen Hurts has A.J. Brown. Oh, yeah, sure seems like the Titans could use that guy. You know, huh? where did he come from, right? Oh, yeah, that's the guy that uh, Tennessee traded on draft night. And that is what it seems like they're really, really missing. As much as I love Robert Woods, and I got to see him and cover him for a long time out here in L.A. with the Rams, that's not necessarily the go-to guy for that offense, at least yet, right? They drafted Traylon Burks. He's not quite that go-to guy. And it's the difference between having that experience and somebody in A.J. Brown who has the chemistry with Ryan Tannehill, a couple guys who just don't have that yet. And so what happens when, like you said, Taylor Luan goes out and your running game does not really get going? You need to have somebody that Ryan Tannehill can turn to and say, I know 
that the defense probably knows you're going to get the ball, but we got to get you the ball anyway. And right now the Titans just don't have that. And that is why they're probably going to keep struggling offensively until somebody develops that bond with Ryan Tannehill. Let's focus on the opposite spectrum of the one loss record. And let's go to the New York giants. Mm. Um, I think I'm not sure how good the giants are, but I do think they're going to be in every game because of that defense. I think they've played exceedingly well on defense, but I want to focus on two things on offense. You know, a lot of times coaches will say, Hey, listen, we're going to stick with the running game. We're going to stick with the running game but they don't really do it. And you Mm -hmm. saw on Sunday that the Giants really were struggling running the ball with Saquon Barkley uh, in that game on Sunday. But then they stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. And in the second half of that game, they really played well. And they ran the ball well. And I think it's all because, I mean, look, Saquon Barkley ended up with 72 yards, which you say, well, geez, That's not a great day running the ball. And overall, I don't consider it a great day. But when you have three yards at halftime, three rushing yards at halftime, it's a tribute to both the play caller, Mike Kafka, uh, to the offensive philosophy forged by Brian Dable and Kafka that they're going to stick with something. And the hidden message in this is that, look, we have to have the running game because Mm -hmm. we are just simply not ready to put the ball in the hands of uh, Daniel Jones yet. We may never be, but we certainly aren't ready right now. Yeah, and it's interesting too, because I mean, like you said, when you have that a number of yards at halftime, it's like, okay, are we really going to stick with this? How are we going to be able to come out there and really affect a plan that's going to be able to defeat the Carolina Panthers? And like you said, to their credit, they stuck with the run game. And so sometimes, you know, you look and you say, uh, he's in, you know, the early seventies in rushing yards. Is that really that good? But if you look at it in the context of what the, the New York giants had to do to win the football game, it's actually pretty good. You know, those are tough yards. And when you understand that, it's like, all right, well, this is why they're winning because they have a plan right now with Dayball, with Kafka on offense, that they understand how they need to win football games. And if that's going to be through the run game, it's like, so be it. We are going to continue to stick with our plan. And I think even though, you know, the, the Giants aren't blowing people out, you know, it's not like they're scoring a, a ton of points. But I give Mike Kafka a lot of credit as the play caller for the New York Giants. I think he's done a really darn good job in the first couple of weeks of constructing game plans and getting the plays out there that will have them win. The other thing is the Giants kind of remind me a little bit right now, a little bit of the Parcells Giants, because he always said, we don't have a lot of running plays but we are going to run the same offense and the same plays until you show that you can consistently stop us. And, you know, the Giants had 36 minutes of possession time in that game against Carolina on Sunday. It's not a pretty way to win, and it's not a pretty way to play. And I think it's going to be frustrating at times for this team. But I do also think that, That's the way this team has to play right now. There's one other thing that 
is going to be an ongoing story and a really good story, I think, uh, down the stretch of this season. When the Giants signed Kenny Galladay a year ago, they signed him to be that sort of breakthrough weapon. And Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, I remember John Mara told me after it all went uh, askew last offseason, he said, look, Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman both told me we need this guy. We got to have this guy. So whatever they paid him, I think they paid him like 20, 21 million a year over a four-year deal with a lot of guaranteed money. And what the Giants then found out is that Galladay really can't separate from corners very well. And that is what has plagued him. He played two snaps on Sunday, two snaps. And in the first game, he played 40-some, and he had two catches for 22 yards. I think he's going to be, what's that, uh, you know, what's the the NBA coaches do? You see on the stat sheet, DNP hyphen coaches decision, or, or whatever that thing is called. I think we might get to that point with Kenny Galladay. He costs too much for them to fire him right now, but mm. they'll be darned if he's going to be an anchor weighing on their offense. And and I'll just say one other thing. Joe Shane, the GM, uh, and Brian Dayball, the coach, they're going to do what is best for this team and what is best for the long haul. Did they want to cut James Bradbury? Absolutely not. They That pained them to get rid of their best corner. They'd be a lot better if James Bradbury were on the team. Mm -hmm. However, they had no choice because some of the incredibly bad and long-term damaging contracts that Dave Gettleman handed out, none worse than Kenny Galladay. Yeah, and that's one of these interesting things that you see with new te- with teams that get new regimes, right? It, it, how do they see the talent or lack thereof that's on the roster? The Raiders are a great example with Alex Leatherwood. Right? The, the previous regime of John Gruden and Mike Mayock picked him in the first round last year, and what happens? He gets cut. You know, and that's just not something you always expect to see with a first round pick. So I I think it's sort of a similar situation with Kenny Galladay, but it's just not financially prudent at this point for them to just let him go. So let's segue to a team that I think has probably surprised both of us a little bit, the Miami Dolphins. I wrote about them at the top of my column this week. uh, And one of the reasons why I think Mike McDaniel, the new coach of this team, has got such a good handle on his team is because of the relationship he's built with Tua Tonga-Valoa and the relationship he's built with a receiving core that he absolutely loves. Obviously, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, uh, both over 150 yards in that 42-38 to win in Baltimore on Sunday. And I guess I would just ask you... Uh, Miles, if I, I'm not saying I'm shocked at Tua Tagovailoa uh, and a and a six touchdown game and playing so well in the first two weeks, I'm a little bit surprised. How do you look at his game so far, and can he keep it up? Well, you might not be shocked, but I'll say it. I'm a little shocked. 
because I don't expect to see Tua Tagovailoa do all those kinds of things. I mean, he was really firing the ball down the field. The other people I think that were a little bit shocked by it were the Baltimore Ravens defensive backs. I mean, Harbaugh was talking about it uh, either after the game Sunday or Monday. I can't quite remember, but he said, you know, we never expected that that many balls would be going over our heads as defensive backs because it's just not something that you should do in that situation in the fourth quarter, especially when you're trying to keep a lead. So, I mean, look, Tungavailoa has shown that he's got the arm talent to get it down the field to Tyreek Hill, to Jalen Waddle. So defenses have to be aware of that. And it is tough, I'm sure, on defensive backs when you've got not just one guy that can blow by you, but two guys that can blow by you. And you can't forget about either one of them. And that should still open up things, you know, in the middle of the field a little bit more for a guy like Mike Jasicki. So I love what McDaniel is doing. I love that he had the bleep it play, which obviously we got, I think this is a family program too, just like it's a family website. So I won't say the word that I'm sure he used, but I think the attitude that they've got going down there in Miami is really, really good. And this is a really intriguing matchup that they've got coming up with the bills. Two quick stat points. And then I'll tell you about the effort play. Um, one stat point that, absolutely unequivocally without any doubt will not bear fruit this year is that Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill are both on pace for uh, 2000 yard receiving seasons. So <laughs> I can pretty much assure you that that's probably not going to happen, but it's interesting. It's one of the reasons why you get excited after two weeks, but you also should understand that, it's not going to be like this the rest of the way, yeah. almost certainly. Um, the second thing is, so NBC did me a solid this year. They uh, uh, formed a partnership with Next Gen Stats that uh, would basically, uh, you know, I'll use them every week and use them for things in my column. But the most interesting thing of this weekend you know, in all the interesting stuff that they sent my way is that the Baltimore Ravens, their defensive backs in this game ran a total of 6,131 yards. Okay, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. No group of defensive backs in the last two seasons has run that many yards in the span of one game. So what that tells you is that, yes, they are. Uh, Miami is throwing the ball deep. And, and Miami is basically saying, catch us if you can. Mm -hmm. And on Sunday, the Baltimore Ravens couldn't catch them. So here's the effort play that Miles delicately referred to just then. After the game, I was talking to uh, Mike McDaniel. And one of the things he said is, he said, you know, you get a kick out of this. The play that broke open the game in the second half, we called the effort play. When I called the play, uh, basically, when the play was called into Tua Tagovailoa's helmet, it was a let's run the effort play. And there was also, you know, tributaries about, you know, formation and, you know, uh, cadence and all that. But they called it the effort play. And the effort play basically was, as McDaniels described to me, Things aren't going well. 
if we're up against it a little bit and we need a play to really make something happen, we're going to call the Evett play. And it's Saturday night in their last team meeting, uh, there was uh, one of the last things that Tagovailoa said to uh, McDaniel is basically, hey, I love the effort play. Let's run it tomorrow. And so they did. They got a long touchdown pass that really got uh, Miami back in this game and helped them win the game. And the, the, the PS to that little story, it's a cute story. Oh, it's a funny name of a play and all that. But what it is, is this coach thinking that when it's third and 10 and you really just need to move the chains to try to live to fight another day. No, no, we're not doing that. You know, we are doing, we're going for it all. Mm -hmm. And how much do players love that? I think they love it quite a bit. So I think McDaniel in the first two weeks, this, this offense has not only put up 31 points a game, but he's building a trust with a quarterback and with a very hungry receiving core that so far looks like he's hit a home run. Absolutely. And, you know, I just think about that video we saw that the Dolphins released right after McDaniel had gotten hired of him FaceTiming Tua Tungavailoa and him saying, like, look, my job is to get the absolute best out of you. My job is to make you, is to help you get to that greatness level. And it just seems like everything McDaniel has done since then has worked out really, really well in terms of establishing that trust with the QB and making sure the QB is prepared to go out there on game day and perform at a really high yeah. level. And you obviously give Chris Greer credit too of going up from going out there and getting somebody like Tyreek Hill who can make the offense that much better. But I think that's where it really started, where it was McDaniel getting hired and saying, look, look, man, that my job is to get you to greatness. And, you know, it's only been two weeks. Yes, but so far that partnership looks like it's working out very, very well. Don't you find it so interesting that without Tyreek Hill, Kansas City has been better on offense in the first two weeks than they were last year? And obviously the Dolphins are a lot better on offense yeah. with Tyreek Hill. I don't really know quite what that says, but but Miles, <laughs> you've you've noticed this. I've known we've all noticed it. The closest team in the NFL right now to the Buffalo Bills is Kansas City. I'm not sure we all thought that it was going to be this way, but after they beat the Chargers, now you look at them and you say, "Wow, this could be a team that they, they they could be in a head-on collision either in Orchard Park or Kansas City on the last Sunday in January uh, to try to get that AFC championship. No doubt. And it doesn't – see, I'm much less shocked or surprised by what Kansas City is doing than I guess than I am what Tua Tungavailoa's performance like we were kind of just talking about. I, throughout the offseason, I was giving Kansas City the benefit of the doubt in terms of what their receiving core could be because we know for one of a really, really long time, Andy Reid has been able to coach offense. Right, they've been really good on offense for a long, long time. You can go back to Andy Reid's time with the Eagles and note exactly what he's been able to do. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt for that reason. And then also 
Patrick Mahomes bringing all of those receivers with him to Texas to start the offseason program. That, that's one thing that I think has helped out those guys a lot in terms of their chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. They were practicing together in April. Right? They were throwing together. They were making sure that they were all on the same page. Mahomes took the lead in that. And I think that has helped them do what they've done so far this season. Then you look at it on defense too. You've got a mature team, a team that knows how to win. And when those things happen, you get a rookie who's out there playing corner. And then that's why he's able to get the interception because he's got all these experienced guys around him. They're that mature defensively that he can go out there, make the play, bring it all the way back and make that game changing play. If somebody is going to come and get the chiefs in the AFC West, they are definitely going to have to take it there because the chiefs aren't just letting go of that crown. Despite that arms race we saw in the AFC West, Russell Wilson's there now. Khalil Mack is there now, right? Devonte Adams is there now. Chiefs are still number one until somebody proves they can take it away. I, the chiefs are still going to be number one. I want to just give you one little PS on Mahomes. So when I was in training camp uh, in, can in St. Joseph, Missouri this summer, mm -hmm. I knew that Mahomes wore this fitness device called a Whoop. I actually wear it too. Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit nerdy, even though I don't think I've got the physical conditioning that Patrick Mahomes has. But anyway, <laughs> it measures a lot of things. But one of the things that it measures is sleep performance. Okay, and how important sleep is toward your getting to your physical peak. So it's very, very interesting, the science behind this, which this company, Whoop, has really embraced. But Mahomes was joking with me in training camp, and he even sent me one of his screen grabs about, um, about his sleep performance and how in training camp it wasn't going very well. And this one day of sleep, it showed that he had gotten to bed at 11.13 p.m., which is very late for him because he gets up, you know, sometime shortly after five. And so, and, and one of the things he said was, here's a, here's a Coach Reed training camp day, you know, and he, and he laughed about it. But one of the things that Whoop measures is sleep performance over time. And they had told Mahomes, you're not getting as much sleep and it's not as good a quality of sleep this mm. summer as you did last summer. And you say, well, big deal. What does that matter? I'll tell you why it matters. It matters because this year he was trying to get four new receivers post Tyreek Hill up to speed. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, the rookie Sky Moore, and a veteran nobody talked much about, Justin Watson, who, yeah. uh, you know, beat J.C. Jackson for a touchdown in that uh, win against the Chargers. But anyway, the point is that Patrick Mahomes, what that says to me is a couple of things. It's a hell of a leader right there that he is taking on that sort of responsibility, not just leaving it to the coaches. He is also helping those four guys get up to speed. And, you know, the fact is he's completed 73% in his first uh, two weeks 
He's got the best touchdown to interception ratio in the league, seven to nothing. Kansas City is not going away. But yep. before we close, I think we both need to shed a tear <laughs> about this poor yeah. guy, Trey Lance. Uh, I just, I, I'm, look, I wasn't sure whether he was going to make it or whether he's going to be great or not because he just simply hasn't played much football. But now he's going to enter 2023 after his grotesque uh, broken ankle against San Francisco. And he's going to enter 2023 with having only four starts in his first two seasons since he left a mid-major program at North Dakota State. And all of the same questions that we have about Trey Lance on September 1, 2022, we're going to have the exact same questions on September 1, 2023. And you know, Peter, you bring up the fact that he hasn't played much football. You could even go back further because of what happened during the pandemic at North Dakota State. And they just didn't really have a season. He played that one game. But other than that, he just has not played very much football. And that's why it's interesting right now. I think that the 49ers could be better with Jimmy Garoppolo because of the experience that Jimmy Garoppolo has. But that's in week three. When it comes to week 15, week 16, week 17, week 18, at the end of the season, where Trey Lance would have had all of that playing experience, and we don't necessarily know how high his ceiling is, he could have been a lot better by then. So, like you said, we have so many questions about Trey Lance. I feel sick for him. Anytime a quarterback or any player really gets hurt like that, and you know how much work they put into it, it really just stinks. You know, you don't want to see anything like that happen. But really, and kind of weirdly now, I feel like the 49ers are kind of the favorite, at least for me, in the NFC West because they have the experience of Jimmy amazing. Garoppolo, a quarterback, right? And yeah. they have a really, really, <laughs> really good defense. And that pass rush led by Nick Bosa, it can give people fits. So it's kind of weird, but the 49ers could be one of those teams that can make a lot of noise in the NFC. You know, I think probably deep down, the 49ers, are, of course, I talked to Kyle Shanahan Sunday night, uh, on his drive home from the stadium. Uh, and he said, I'm just sick for Trey yeah. Lance. And I, I would be too. It's terrible. It's awful. It's a terrible injury. On the other hand, I think deep down, the 49ers just might be thinking, you know, we got two primetime games the next two weeks. <laughs> at Denver on Sunday night, then the Rams at home on Monday night. Mm -hmm. And... Who do we feel better about having a chance to win one or both of those games with as our quarterback? In my opinion, um, you know, again, I was I questioned it at the time, but I think they've got a better shot with with Garoppolo. And let's just say, after the first four games, they're two and two. Let's say they split with Denver and and the Rams. Let's just say, well, then they've got a very friendly. East Coast trip, or maybe not exactly East Coast, but Eastern time zone trip at Atlanta, at Carolina, the next two mm -hmm. games. So in my my thought is that, I, I, Miles, you just said something that I think you absolutely might be right. I think now the 49ers might, might be 
the favorite in a division now that the Rams do seem flawed. And I mean, in their home, you know, in, in a home game on Sunday, they had to resort to their punter running around in the end zone or, or it wasn't their punter, whoever, yeah. whoever it was running around in the end zone and taking a safety, yeah. trying to yeah. kill the clock at the end of the game against yeah. the Atlanta Falcons. So, yep. Hey, the two teams in the Super Bowl last year, bringing a full circle here, Cincinnati and the Rams, they are not going to have an easy path this year. Certainly not. No. I mean, Atlanta almost got to exercise some 28 to three demons, but couldn't quite make it work. <laughs> it was pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Miles, listen, great having you with me this week uh, for the, uh, the Peter King podcast. So happy uh, you're with me this season and so happy everybody out there could join us. Hope you enjoyed the pod this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Peter King and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.